Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. KFI. AM uh, 640. Bill Handel here. It's a Monday morning, uh, January 24th. Some of the big stories that we're carrying. Uh, well, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers lost to the LA Rams last second. And what a hell of a game that was. I just want to let you know, too, I'm keeping an eye on the Dow right now. It is down 608. And apparently investors are worried about corporate earnings this week. You've got Microsoft, Tesla, Apple, all the big tech names giving their fourth quarter results. Oh, I thought it was because uh, all the market was a big fan, uh, Tom Brady fans, but I guess not. Uh, so Could be both. Yeah. You know, the market, uh, you know, it's, it's in trouble. But then inflation is here. Supply chain, we're still doing uh, dealing with that. COVID, we're dealing with that. And I know that uh, the president has been blamed for all of it. Uh, and uh, the only thing he can be blamed for is not rescuing America from it. He's just he's being blamed for not being FDR effectively. What he inherited is just unbelievable. And uh, I don't know if at some point people are going to realize it or not. Or he'll, well, the buck stops here. So he is going to get uh, the blame no matter what happens negatively. Uh, one of the things that's going on with the president right now, and boy, is this a huge international issue that the entire world is riveted to, and that is the fear uh, that Russia, and I'll, I'll just say Putin individually because uh, Putin pretty well controls Russia. There's, it's, it's an autocracy. And uh, there is, uh, the problem is that uh, it seems like Russia is on the, uh, just the very tip of invading Ukraine. And it seems like, what has Ukraine done? Well, not much, except it's more about what is Ukraine, what is Ukraine? And geography is really what it's the about. The new year means resolutions like and, diets um, and exercising. Uh, what about exercising your legal rights? I'm attorney Darren Kavanoki from 1-800- all right, sorry about that. We had a glitch and it just popped. You know, occasionally that happens. It's, it's the computer just shoots off uh, the commercial. So anyway, back we go uh, to uh, Ukraine and why Russia would get so upset. Uh, and it's not just because Putin is arbitrarily saying, okay, I'm going to mass 100,000 troops and be on the very urge of invading Ukraine, an incursion like he did with, a, with Crimea. The difference here is that uh, Russia has been invaded so many times. 
that is at the mercy of virtually every country around it. It's a huge country. It is very hard to defend. And the reason Ukraine and all the Baltic areas uh, became uh, Soviet spears uh, that were uh, Soviet spheres for Russia is this happened right after World War II because, again, Russia was invaded by the Nazis and it had been invaded by Napoleon and it happened over and over again. So uh, now you have a situation where uh, Ukraine is was one of the states that surrounded and protected Russia. It was a buffer. And that's why it became part of uh, the uh, Soviet sphere, which is why Stalin said, that, that those belong to me, my country. And then it got to be very complicated. And we uh, talk about Yalta, where FDR and uh, Stalin and Churchill, although Churchill had no influence. What, what were they going to do post-war? How are we going to split up the world? And FDR was dying at that time. And Stalin was just unbelievably smart and vicious. And he said, I want this group of people around me. I want this group of countries around me to protect me because I've been invaded so many times and I want that buffer. That's what happened right after World War II. And it continued on until the fall of the Soviet Union. So now here comes Putin. Ukraine becomes an independent country. It's still in Russia's eyes, is a buffer. But the problem is, it's no longer part of the Soviet sphere. What it is now is desperate to join NATO. It's an ally of the Western world on the border of Russia. And Putin is going, we're very vulnerable and we're not going to let this happen. And we're right at the border uh, because, uh, and this is why uh, Ukraine is not part of NATO. Everybody's scared to death in terms of how Putin's going to react. So that's that's really why all this is happening. So as a result of that, what is going on? Well, Putin is going to do everything he can to make sure uh, that uh, Russia is still guarded or buffered by these countries, that it never, uh, Ukraine never joins NATO, and the troops that are guarding the Ukraine, which are international troops, are going to not be involved in defending because that's the fear today. And we just went through 20 years of Afghanistan. Are we going to jump now into Ukraine? Well, not with the military troops, we're not. So right now what Biden is saying is we'll back up uh, Ukraine as against an incursion by Russia, which, of course, Russia would win in two seconds because uh, uh, Russia is that powerful and Ukraine is a small country. But Ukraine has all its allies. It has NATO. And even though it's not officially part of NATO, uh, this is not going to be pleasant if Russia goes into Ukraine. So no one knows what Putin is going to do. At this point, Putin is holding all of his cards very close to the vest. And the Western world is just spinning. And so here comes Biden. Uh, the United States is still the military and economic leader of the Western world. And it is looked at for leadership. You got to do something, United States. And the reason that now the United States is specifically looked at because there was four years of Donald Trump 
who uh, wanted nothing to do with NATO or European allies. And so you've got the world saying, come on, we need help here in the event that Russia goes ahead and uh, commits the incursion, goes ahead and attacks Ukraine. And so what does Biden do? Uh, Biden is spinning. And uh, the argument is that Biden isn't in the same league as Putin, I believe, is absolutely true. Putin is, in my opinion, internationally or running country, smarter. Certainly uh, more clever and also more apt to navigate lines where the United States would not go right to the very edge. And uh, Putin's had 20 years of doing this. Joe Biden's had a year of deciding what's going to happen internationally. Now, even though Obama said, oh, he's a partner and he's part of the decision-making process, that's a crock. Vice presidents are not. They're there to help out. They're there to be the wingman, or today, the wingwoman. And so now what does Biden do? Well, I'll tell you what uh, Biden has done. is uh, He has responded to 100,000 troops on the border of Ukraine, And has said that if there is an incursion, we are going to respond proportionally. If it's a small incursion, maybe 5,000 troops, then we will respond to 5,000 troops as opposed to 50,000 troops. Ukraine goes nuts. And the president of Ukraine sends letters and goes public and says, what do you mean a minor incursion? An attack is an attack. You can't argue proportional here. This is an attack on a sovereign country by another country. And as the Western world looked at Biden and said, uh, yeah, Ukraine is absolutely right on this one. Biden just peddled it back instantly. And uh, didn't deny that he said it. Uh, Jan Penske uh, is so good. Or Psenke. Uh, how do you pronounce her Saki. Saki, oh God, I always think of uh, Penske uh, Automotive. I used to do commercials for them. So uh, she comes out and is asked specifically, didn't the president say that it was going to be a proportional response? And she just deflected and said, the president said any incursion in will be defended 100%. He is very serious about the fact that any incursion is a full attack. And the reporter says, I think it was Jim Acosta, said, wait a minute, Jan. Yesterday he said this, didn't he? We have it on tape. And she went right into, the president believes that any incursion is a major incursion. God, I love, I just love it when you don't have uh, presidential uh, spokespeople, press secretaries ever admit what a president said four hours before. Or the president misspeaks, and then she gets on uh, the podium and completely denies that it happened. Because you can't at all, a, a president can never admit that he or she has done anything wrong ever. So the story of the attack, the potential attack on Ukraine is more than just you have a crazy dictator in Putin who all of a sudden, for no reason, is massing 100,000 troops, and we're looking at a possible invasion any minute now. The other thing, as I told you how smart Putin is, 
and how he plays chicken with everybody, the rest of the world, he's doing this maybe as just playing chicken. He is pretending, and he's bringing everything up to the brink. So it's a hell of a story, but I just wanted to give you some background as to why uh, and what is going on and what Biden did absolutely wrong in uh, saying we're, if there's an attack, a small attack, we'll we respond uh, in a small way and not. I want to give you a little bit of history uh, going back to uh, 1899. And that's when uh, Butch Cassidy was running around with his gang. And uh, they were bank robbers and train robbers. And in 1899, uh, they robbed a Union Pacific train uh, specifically the Union Pacific Overland Flyer Number 1, as it was going through Wyoming, they stopped the train, blew up the safe, and then a posse went after them, and they ended up getting away. And so uh, this business of train robbery, and not so much uh, robbing a train at gunpoint, but pilfering a train, breaking into rail cars, as we know, and the big player here is the Union Pacific Railroad. That is losing goods in these container cars, in the freight cars, and L.A. specifically is the problem, far more than any other part of the country. And why is that? Well, because we're on the Pacific Rim, because uh, Long Beach L.A. ports are responsible for 40% of all of the imports that come into the United States, uh, our big uh, our big suppliers, uh, naturally China, that brings in, I don't even what, know what percentage, but it's huge. And so here in L.A., why it is so easy to break into a car, uh, a couple of reasons. First of all, there's a lot of them. And there's a lot of uh, rail uh, mileage here, a lot of tracks. I mean, thousands of miles that the Union Pacific Railroad takes care of. And with the train, what happens with the trains is there are so many of them, uh, you have this um, supply chain issue that a lot of them are just pulled off onto uh, a rail siding and just sit there. Or they crawl through an area and they're just susceptible to these attacks. And we saw video on the news. I mean, it looked like uh, the debris field looked like one of those uh, garbage pits in third world countries that you see. Stacks and stacks of garbage with little kids rummaging through them. That's basically what it looked like. And specifically, the video that uh, was really used at uh, national news outlets used to tell the story was the derailed train and the garbage, the empty boxes, FedEx boxes, UPS boxes, uh, USPS boxes that were just strewn uh, for miles down the train track as people were pilfering and stealing as uh, many of the goods were possible. And it actually were two uh, levels of the theft. One were the people that broke into the cars. And took all the good stuff out and threw away the boxes. And they wanted the good stuff. And left sort of the, the toys, etc. just out there. In, uh, in boxes, out on the tracks, uh, in, on the road next to uh, the tracks. 
And so the second group, mainly homeless people that come in and they are now rifling through everything else. They're trying to find anything that can be sold, much like people go through uh, trash cans, the homeless, and they're looking for bottles. Uh, Plastic bottles can be recycled, aluminum cans that can be sold for weight. And uh, this was Disneyland for them because there was plenty of stuff that the original uh, robbers, the crooks, uh, didn't want. And so it was a double hit. And so what happens? So Union Pacific uh, is saying it's LAPD's fault. There aren't enough officers to the point where, and this goes historically back a very long time, where Union Pacific is one of those companies that can have its own police force with arresting privileges. I mean, a cop force. And they're saying, we don't have enough. Look at the problem. It's LAPD. That's the problem. And the city is going, no, no, that's not our problem. It's your problem. It's your job to have enough security and have enough uh, camera and surveillance that we know who it is. And then Union Pacific comes back and saying, and here, not only do you not have enough officers, you you know what you have that's ruining it all for us, that makes us so susceptible, and why this crime wave is going on? You have George Gascon. That's who you have. And why is he at fault? Well, because he makes it so easy and almost impossible to prosecute. Lenient prosecution. Mean those who are arrested for rifling through the rail cars usually have their charges reduced to misdemeanors, even petty offenses. Turn around. They're arrested. They end up in jail. They're fingerprinted. The pictures are taken. And then they turn around and go right back. Uh, They're out the door in far less time than it takes a cop to put someone in the car and drive to the nearest police station. And uh, that's what it is. Now, uh, here is what uh, Gascon's office said. First of all, that's not true. If you look at the past two years, the cases have actually dropped from 78 cases in 2019 to 47 cases in 2021. Now, keep in mind that I don't think he's counting these latest cases. That's sort of off the table. And he said he brought charges in 55% of those cases, Gascon said. Now, uh, by the way, uh, charging someone with a misdemeanor or even a petty offense is charging someone. So therefore, 55% of the time, we charge those people. And he said the other ones were dismissed for lack of evidence or because they didn't involve allegations of burglary, theft, or tampering was where they go after. And uh, it's, and by the way, the uh, Union Pacific downsized its uh, police force in 2020, uh, leaving the company with six cops, six rail cops patrolling uh, between Yuma, Arizona, and the Pacific Coast. Also, you have a real problem with, of course, resignations because cops are bailing out of being police officers and the COVID. And so right now the LAPD is short uh, uh, 2,000 officers. That's a 20% shortage. So who's to blame? Well, of course I'm going to blame Gascon because uh, this is a DA who doesn't believe uh, there is a crime ever committed. And when he dies, you'll see his tombstone when you visit it 
And there it is, carved into the tombstone, I've never met a criminal I don't like. No value judgment, mind you. None whatsoever. Now, there's a lot of controversy. I want to go into this one about the new uh, 5G rollout. And this one is a mess between the airlines and the air community uh, and the federal government or part of the federal government because even the federal government is fighting within itself as to these five, the new 5G rollout at certain places. Now, we, all, we have one already. So, you know, for us, it doesn't really matter, but we're talking about uh, the, um, the areas in, uh, around airports uh, that deal with uh, basically two kinds of planes. The 777 and I think uh, the A340, uh, which uh, is the Airbus. And the way it works, whenever a plane lands, and you've all seen this uh, on documentaries and commercials, et cetera, as the plane is landing, you hear the voice in the cockpit, the recorded voice saying 40 feet, 30 feet, 20 feet, 10 feet. And so the pilots know exactly how far off the runway they are because they can't look down. I mean, they're looking through the windshield, so there's no way to see the runway as they approach. And so there, that's an altimeter that controls it all. And the airlines are saying uh, the, the new 5G system, the towers, interfere with that altimeter for these older planes. And they're saying if the 5G uh, rollout happens at those airports, we're canceling the flights. We're not going to fly. And all of a sudden, everybody's panicked because international carriers go to these uh, spots and then you have... Uh, and, and even LAX is going to be affected. And so what a mess. So now the FAA is involved because there are two agencies that have to be involved. And one is the FAA responsible for air safety. And then you have the FCC, which uh, controls the commercial airwaves, the radio. You know, the uh, the signals that are used, the radar, et cetera. And so uh, the FCC is saying, you know, no problem with the rollout. The airlines are right. And the FAA is saying, wait a minute, there's all kinds of problems with the rollout. Because it's a safety issue. And aviation companies, the regulators say the rush to reach the 5G development goals threatens the safety and reliability of a global economy. Because airlines won't be able to land. And so the fight is going on as to whether or not those 5G networks are going to be installed. And this is a fight that's been going on for years. I mean, within the federal government itself. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. There's something called the National Telecommunications and Information Administration. I mean, there's so many agencies in the federal government. We go through 10 days of going through all of them. And this is a federal office authorized to mediate disputes uh, over managing the public radio waves. And they've had uh, temporary leaders over the last three years. 
A permanent chief uh, just filled the role last week. And so the airlines are saying you can't roll out this 5G. Of course, Verizon and AT&T, they paid $81 billion uh, for the privilege of doing that. They bought the band that the new 5G is on. Uh, and they've been dealing with this for years. They were going to buy it. They've rolled it out. They spent a fortune on 5G, not only the $81 billion to get the rights to that band, uh, but also look at the money they spent in advertising. That alone, how often do you see these people, uh, these companies advertising 5G? And it's new equipment that has to be put up too. So they're into the hundreds of billions of dollars. And the fight continues. And what you had is the communications company delaying. Okay, we'll delay it. Because this fight's been going on for three years. It was the Trump administration actually started to warn uh, these telecommunications companies, we may have a problem here. And so they were going to install, uh, a delay happened uh, last month, two weeks, and then they said, okay, we'll wait another two weeks. And uh, they haven't installed yet, but they will. So uh, if you're flying a 777, which is an older airplane, phenomenal airplane, by the way, a Boeing 777, uh, and the Airbus, I think the 340, great airline. I mean, they're both well, a great airplane. They're both very safe. They have the... Uh, uh, I guess the antiquated uh, altimeters and all they deal with is, gee, we're going to land and we're at 40 feet. And the airlines are saying, you know, that equipment, that 5G equipment is going to knock out uh, our altimeter, this altimeter. Oh, what a mess. So I wonder if you're going to have commercials and uh, commercials talking about that from uh, AT&T and Verizon. Probably not. And so they're trying to figure out a way. Uh, now, in Europe, they've used this system around airports, but they don't mention that in Europe, uh, the power of the 5G equipment isn't the same as uh, the power here in the United States. Hey, it's safe. It's perfectly safe. Look what's happening in Europe, the telecommunications people say. Quite the fight. So that's what's going on with the 5G world. You bet. The uh, case of the three officers who were with uh, a police officer Chauvin uh, in the murder of George Floyd. Now, they have not been accused of actually killing George Floyd. That was just Chauvin, who was convicted of two counts of murder in the state trial last spring. Uh, I don't have to tell you, but I'm going to repeat. Uh, he knelt on the neck of uh, Floyd for more than nine minutes and uh, killed him. It was that simple. And, and it was very callous. He didn't care. I mean, he's on his neck. He has his hands in his pocket. Uh, he's just casually sitting on his neck as George Floyd is screaming for his life. I can't breathe dozens of times. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And it didn't matter. So you have the other three cops now. And they're not accused of murder. Uh, this is a federal trial accusing them of not rendering aid. And the big one not only not uh, not rendering aid, but also not stopping Chauvin or any police officer, not stopping another police officer for committing a civil rights violation. And we're not talking about race here, uh, even though race is a fairly big factor. We're talking about depriving, in this case, George Floyd of his constitutional rights to uh, not be uh, strangled, not be killed because it deprives him effectively as the ability to leave. 
uh, to live. And you have a constitutional right. You can't do that without due process. Uh, you can't uh, deal with a prisoner without due process, depriving him of his constitutional rights. And so that's what the case is about. Uh, that and the failure to render aid. Now, that one is pretty simple. I think they're going to be convicted on that one because they didn't render aid. They saw Chauvin on George Floyd's neck, and they actually helped Chauvin. They didn't kill him, but they helped Chauvin. One officer held his legs. One officer was on his back at the time. And uh, the other officer was standing uh, next to uh, the incident uh, and shooing away people, bystanders, who were screaming at them, at the cops, saying, get off his neck, you're killing him. And uh, the only thing that the police did was make sure that the people were well away. And uh, in today's day, of course, you have video of everything that happens. You know, if there weren't idiot, if there weren't video, cops would still be getting away with everything. Because you had an arrest where, let's say, a suspect mouths off to a cop, gets beaten to a pulp, and uh, the cop writes a report resisting arrest. Always. And it always worked. Well. Uh, this one is very rare, and uh, that is uh, federal law requiring police officers to intervene in the actions of other officers to stop constitutional rights. That has been affirmed for decades. Police departments are training officers to move against other officers to stop misconduct. However, here's a reality check. Number one, you have the blue code of silence. Even when cops do see another officer committing a civil rights violation or excess force or whatever is not allowed, both by policy and by law. And on top of the code of silence is you have the fact that policing is very hierarchical or hierarchical. Yeah, I pronounced it right. Uh, And. So that means you have a senior officer. In this case, you have Derek Chauvin, who's been on the force 19 years. He is the senior officer, a training officer. And you have a couple of cops that have been on the force for less than a week. Now, are they realistically going to tell their superior officer, get off him? You can't do that. So a couple things realistically happen. Uh, Nothing happens. Uh, the senior officer doesn't do anything, just keeps on going. Or even if the senior officer does do something and stops his or her actions, the cops that are saying get off of him and try to stop it, they're done. That career is finished. There are, even if they don't get fired, which they wouldn't under those circumstances, just being in any of uh, the uh, police stations doesn't matter across the city uh you're instantly a pariah and treated as such and life becomes absolutely miserable and the issue of i was just following orders that's all i was doing and what am i supposed to do i'm on the uh i'm on the force for a week i've got uh, an officer 19 years who is doing what he's doing You have one of uh, the three cops saying, shouldn't we turn him? Shouldn't we turn him over? Twice. And Chauvin ignores that. And so you can assume uh, that had that cop kept on going, uh, there'd be a lot of dissension. There'd be a lot of reputation here. 
And the I was just following orders. Well, let me go historically back to I was just following orders. Sometimes the law says too bad. You don't follow orders. And here's an example. Your senior officer says, shoot that unarmed uh, civilian in the back. This is an order. Can you actually argue I was following orders? Of course not. Well, this is much the same case. Not to that degree, but pretty close. I wasn't following a specific order, but implied with a police officer who's been on the force and in a leadership position of uh, Eric Chauvin, and he'd been there for almost two decades, what am I supposed to do? Well, I'll tell you what the law says. This can, Actually, this came back uh, after the Nuremberg trials when they were trying the Nazis. When uh, the defendants legitimately said, I was following orders. They were ordered to commit those crimes against humanity. And the Nuremberg Tribunal said, too bad. And even the defense of, I would have been shot, I would have been killed had I not followed orders. Too bad. You can't commit these crimes. And uh, this, if this goes forward uh, the way it should, and maybe will, it's going to change everything about policing. Everything. You won't see the Chauvins uh, do what they do anymore. What you'll do is see a police officer who was there uh, either yell, stop it, or physically get in the way of the excessive force or the uh, violation of civil rights. That's why this case is so, so important. It's, it's a watershed moment. In terms of the blue line, uh, the blue code of silence and the intervention of police officers when they see something happening along these lines or or even to a lesser, a lesser extent. It's the law. The courts have uh, upheld that law for decade after decade. Going back to uh, 2011, if you remember the shooting of uh, Representative Gabby Giffords. Remember that? She was at a rally and she was th- uh, shot through the head. I mean, right through the brain and she survived. And she is still around today, although uh, walking with great difficulty, uh, speaking with difficulty. And of course, uh, she was given a life sentence. And uh, there is now a lawsuit that was actually filed in uh, 2017, and now it's just going up through the um, uh, through channels. Uh, and it's the New York Times wrote an editorial that incorrectly linked that shooting to a map that was circulated by uh, Palin's PAC, Pacific uh, their uh, the Political Action Committee that showed electoral districts, uh, certain electrical liberal districts under crosshairs. Uh, The Times uh, corrected the order immediately, apologized for it, and then the lawsuit went forward, it was filed, and a lower judge initially dismissed the case, but now a federal appeals court said, oh no, Uh, turn the lower trial uh, judge's opinion around and the trial will now take place. And it really has to do with the limits of First Amendment protections uh, and uh, what a newspaper, what a news outlet can and cannot say. Uh, As of right now, the standard uh, that a public figure, huge difference between a a private figure and a public figure, a public figure has far less rights. 
Uh, the public figure has to prove that the news outlet operated with, quote, actual malice when it published defamatory information, meaning it had to know that it was false and still went ahead and published it. And that uh, damages uh, accrued or damages were proved against the plaintiff to loss of reputation, uh, couldn't get a job. I mean, just on and on. There are a bunch of damages and it's hard to prove. And uh, Palin's lawyers uh, basically are saying, you know what, this whole issue in terms of protecting uh, these news outlets and saying you have to prove that you didn't know what was false. Come on. You know, really? I mean, you published, uh, you said that Gabby Gifford's death was a result of uh, these flyers that were sent out by a political action committee connected to Palin and uh, under the crosshairs. And look at the shooting that came out uh, that resulted or the flyers resulted as uh, that that happened as a result of that. Either way, it doesn't matter. Uh, And uh, it has to do with her reputation. And I don't know how much of a reputation she has. Frankly, I think she's going to, even if she proves this, it's going to you know, really argue uh, my reputation has been ruined, especially after the apology correction happened the next day. But here's the New York Times getting nailed. And they were wrong. And news outlets hate to be wrong. Man, there's nothing worse for a reporter or a paper or a television, state, uh, television station or a uh, network to say something that just isn't true. And retract. And she is saying, hey, it doesn't matter uh, because you knew it was false. And so if the court turns around and grants her, which probably won't, grants her uh, her case, rules in her favor, it's going to change around uh, the entire concept of First Amendment rights for news outlets. It's actually a very, very big deal. Uh, Jeffrey Tubin. Uh, CNN's chief legal analyst, and he was interviewed, but he kept both his hands on the table and made sure uh, that the camera saw his hands on the table, uh, agreed that uh, it's very likely uh, that Palin's going to lose her battle. And that's probably going to happen. Will there be a settlement? Maybe. And if she loses in district court, she can go up to all the way to the Supreme Court, which I don't think is going to take it. Maybe it will because it's such an important case. And as uh, Palin, as uh, Jeffrey Tubin points out, Palin is the perfect plaintiff. The New York Times is the perfect defendant. And this has to do with uh, mobilizing First Amendment protections for the press. And on the other side, arguing that the press shouldn't have this kind of leeway. And you have to know that what you say is false. That is a big hurdle to overcome. We'll see what happens with this case. This is fascinating stuff. As we deal with climate change, and obviously we have no choice but to deal with climate change, there are two things that are absolutely necessary for zero emissions or to bring us down to at least neutral uh, emissions a little bit or what we have now and keeping it at this level, which isn't enough. One of them is we have to have nukes. You can't do it without nuclear power. It's just impossible. Uh, All the alternative energy sources don't come near uh, to the point or the amount we need to eliminate fossil fuels. And without nuclear energy, the answer is no. The other thing is dealing with meat around the world. 
And if you look at the amount of resources, water, acreage, manure, methane that cows produce, it is truly astronomical. And getting rid of meat is a huge answer to the problem. I mean, a major answer. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a game changer if uh, meat were long, no longer made out of meat. Now, there's a couple of ways of doing it. You have the plant-based meat, which the technology is really good, but it's not meat. It's plant-based. And uh, it's doing great. It really is. It, uh, the hamburger meat looks like hamburger meat. Uh, it bleeds like hamburger does. And they're moving. A chicken now tastes just like chicken. Uh, and they're doing that at KFC. Now, the other way of uh, growing or providing meat is real meat, but grown in a lab. Real animal products made in a lab. And this is going on in Singapore. They've just approved uh, cultivated chicken for sale this year. The FDA and the USDA are considering it here. Now, it costs a ton of money right now, but it is uh, going to really work. Research, researchers, entrepreneurs uh, say that the cultivated meat could literally tackle climate change and make a huge inroad and cut down on animal meat consumption in the days, uh, in the decades to come. So far, about $2 billion have been put into this, uh, this technology. And here's the way it works is that scientists or meat producers or technicians uh, in the near future, uh, what they do is take a cell from an animal, uh, either a live animal, a dead animal, and it really doesn't matter what kind of cell, but out of that cell, and we know uh, with stem cell, uh, uh, the stem cell philosophy and the science of stem cells, stem cells can grow into anything. All of our organs started with stem cells, and much the same thing is happening here. They take a cell from an animal, and out of that comes a cow. It's almost like one of those cans that have, uh, you know, the, uh, the stuff that comes out. You open it up, boom, and confetti comes out. And according to the CEO of one of these companies uh, that is really involved and has gotten tons of money and in investment, he says it's real meat. And instead of needing billions of animals and all the land and the water and the rainforests uh, that have to be knocked down for pasture land, uh, you start with a cell. You can get a cell from the biopsy of an animal, a fresh piece of meat, a cell bank. It really doesn't matter. You don't need the animal anymore, and you can make beef. Now, you, do you do the whole cow? Of course not. But uh, in the near future, it's steaks. It's different cuts of meat. And it's real meat. You can't tell the difference. And the scientists can produce uh, X uh, marbling in the meat and replicate various cuts of meat. And that's always been, and I've been talking about this a long time, and I'm a big meat eater. I love meat. Uh, so I'm a complete hypocrite when it comes to this. If I wasn't a hypocrite, I would stop eating meat, but I won't. So I'd rather eat my steaks, eat my meat, and then come on the radio and tell you how horrible beet eating is and how atrocious it is to the environment. But that's this future. I mean, think of this. Uh, one of the major causes of methane in the, uh, in the world are cows, you know, effectively cow farts. And I'm talking about a good percentage of methane. Wipe that out, and there's an inroad, a big one right there. The amount of water that it takes 
the amount of acreage that it takes for pasture land or just the amount of water that it takes to deal with a cow. And what is it? The figure is for every pound of meat, you need X hundreds or thousands of gallons of water and you need X amount of feed uh, that that comes from pasture land or that comes from the field that has to be grown. And that takes enormous amount of water and that takes and that takes fertilizer and on and on and on. So when you think about environmentally speaking, uh, meat is pretty horrible. But how do you hell give up meat? Well, this is a good answer. This really is. Now, will there be real meat available? Of course there will. But it's going to be specialty. It's going to be very few farms. And they're going to raise relatively few cows. And you'll have specialty rest- uh, uh, restaurants where you'll pay $110 a steak. And it's going to be limited, basically the caviar crowd, where it's limited supply, or the Wagyu beef, which is really strange stuff, the Kobe beef, where they massage the cows. I mean, what a great job that is. I'm going to work. What do you do? Why don't we spend the next day eight hours massaging a cow? Are you a licensed masseuse? Well, yeah, but that's a special license. I'm a cow masseuse. This makes all the sense in the world, and we will be eating. And certainly, I figure in the next 10, 15 years, 20 years, we're going to be eating certainly plant-based meat. We're there already. Now it's just a question of volume. And lab-made meat. We're back again tomorrow. This is KFI AM 640 Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground. Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.